It's the Manly Danger Show with your hosts, Chet Manley and Max Danger. Chet and Max are scuba diving in Thailand today and should be back next week. Today's special guest hosts are Jack Heald and Matthew Thornton. Today on the Madly Danger Show, we talk about drunk driving license, why laws should treat people as individuals, Arizona medical marijuana laws, why driving high is safer than driving drunk, and whether or not Matthew is a sociopath. And now, here's Jack and Matthew. What's up, man? Hey, dude. What are you doing? I just called to check in. What are you thinking about today? Well... You don't want to know. (laughs) Talk to me. I have this theory about drunk driving. (laughs) And do I even want to ask why you have this theory about drunk driving? No, I don't. Okay. Just, just just give me the theory. So I think instead of assuming that because somebody is 0.02, that they are incapable of driving, I think what you need to do is to take like somebody from the bottom 20% of skills, driving skills, right? Take somebody that's already pretty bad at driving. And then I can apply to get a drunk driver's license. And I, what, what here's what happens. I go in and they run, they run, a, they run an obstacle course and they're a crappy driver. And then I have to drive that same obstacle course. But every time I do it, I take a drink. So we get to the point where I'm as bad as they are. And whatever, however drunk I am then, that's my baseline. So if I get pulled over, they, like if I'm 0.07 or whatever, that's my baseline. Uh-huh. If, I'm, if I'm 0.05, I'm still good because I can drunk drive better than that <laughs> crazy lady. <laughs> okay, so... So, so my baseline, we're going to have on our, on our driver's license. If I understand you here, you're going to have on your driver's license. What your what your well, baseline. No, it's like you get a separate what, driver's how? license. You have a separate, it's a drunk oh, driver's okay. license. Okay. You have a, so a regular like, driver's license and a drunk driver's license. No, you, it would replace it. So you, it like, replace your dri- okay. like a truck driver just has the truck license, like the truck right. driver license or whatever. So right. I think my baseline is if I have like a bottle of wine, I'm still better than that jerk. Like she's driving, but just cause she's sober, but she sucks. That means she sh- like, no, I should be, I should be able to uh, have as, as much as that. And then not worse than that. So if I'm, if he pulls me over and I'm 0.09, then he can be like, well, you're above your baseline. Now you're, now you're worse than that lady over there with a guy, whatever. And, uh, and so now you're impaired, but me four glasses of wine in might be impaired too, but even impaired, you're better than than the, I'm still better than 20, like half of the drivers on the road. So like a, like a, a really good driver, like a race car driver, his thing is going to be like, he can get an extreme DUI, but he's still pretty safe. So (laughs) So he might be like point three. He's still he's still better than most of us. And I think that should be the the baseline. Like, cause I'm pretty safe. Like I'm not gonna get in blackout drunk. Obviously, that's a horrible like, you know, I mean mad is is gonna be Do I do I really want to know why you've been thinking this? Or is that something I would rather not know? No, of course, because I wanna (laughs) because I wanna drink and drive. (laughs) Not a lot. I'm not going to endanger anybody, but that crazy cat lady might be endangering people every day in the middle of the day. And I'm just doing it at night. Like as much, as much, I mean, I'm not, I want right. to do though. Cause I don't right. do that. I don't, right. I don't like above the limit. Okay. But, so, so but this, I want this to isn't, be, this isn't we'll some scheme you came up with sitting at a drunk tank waiting. No, to no, get no, no, no. Out. Okay. I was like, I imagine that though, and I imagine my indignation 
at the the laws that treat people not like an individual, but you're lumping everybody into this thing like 0.08 is some magic number where now I can't operate a vehicle. Like I'm, I would be like, look, I'm still better than that Joker. <laughs> so we should, you know, that that might be an interesting defense rather than no, your honor, the blood test was wrong. I, I was on a jury once for a guy that was being tried for, for DUI. That's another story altogether. But, but anyway, your defense would not be, your honor, I wasn't, the, 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 the equipment measured my blood alcohol level wrong. Your defense would be, hell yeah, that was my blood alcohol, but yeah. I'm still better than 20% of the, I'm, of the sober drivers on the, on the street. I'm such a good driver that I am better when I'm impaired than still like half the drivers on the road. So we just need I to figure out we just I need to figure see. out a baseline of okay now you're too drunk now you're not even as good as the crazy cat lady or the 95 year old or whatever like whoever bad drivers are I don't know I'm not going to like to you know throw 95 year old cat ladies under the bus yeah right I mean, not, not to not to be a jerk to them but you know what I mean like take like some of the worst drivers that still can have a license and put me up against them not up against the giant bell curve of almost everybody. Like most people. You know, if we, if we videotape that, we could make viral videos as well. Oh yeah. Cause my Le- reaction. Legally, Im- legally impaired drunk guy out drives 95 year old cat lady with, oh, I, with license. I could do it. I could do it way past where I think it would be safe. Cause I would never get behind a wheel where it was dangerous. But 0.08 is not dangerous for, for a lot of people. I'm 6'5", I'm 220, 230, whatever. Having four glasses of wine is not going to make me that impaired that I can't, like, my, they say, like, well, your reaction time isn't as good. Well, yeah, but it's still better than the 95-year-old. So so I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Um, <laughs> Why not? <laughs> you, yeah. you realize that this blood alcohol thing is is a percentage not not a not like a, a a measurement of volume. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. So like it, you at 0.08 means you got a whole lot more alcohol in you than a 5 foot 2 inch pixie gymnast who's also got a 0.08. Yeah, I know. Okay. But, but I'm just saying I I think I can I wouldn't I wouldn't take it to a point where I was I was literally like extreme DUI and all that stuff. But I'm just saying I want a higher level so I can have three or four glasses of wine and not have to get a cab or an Uber or whatever, because I think I can still be completely safe as at least as safe as some, you know, wow. I'm going to run for office on this premise. And I, 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 I don't, I don't think there's any way you can I possibly don't, lose. No, I and well, I was going to say, I don't think I'll... Other than, <laughs> think other I'll, than the 95-year-old cat lady vote. Yeah. No, they're going to be... The, but the you're probably point. counting on them not driving well enough to be able to make it to the polls before the polls close. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna take their time. Wow. Anyway, but, that's what I was thinking about. I'm glad we've had this conversation. Yes. So, so I have this theory. Yeah. And and did you hear about the uh, this Arizona... Um, the Supreme Court decision about pot. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't actually read it. Um, um, my son told me about it. Um, What's the gist of it? I as think I, I understand it, a medical marijuana, let's see. Um, I'm, I'm going to read what the, uh, the local rag sheet tells us about it. Um, let's see. The Arizona Medical Marijuana Act, which was passed as a citizen's initiative in 2010, says that licensed medical marijuana users cannot be prosecuted for marijuana use if they stay within the parameters of the statute. So far, so good. But state laws on driving under the influence forbid driving while impaired by marijuana, which extends even to the presence of metabolites in the bloodstream. That is residue of drug of the drug that remains in the body, even after the person. Uh, wait a minute. This is the wrong story. Crud. So does that mean like 
Because never mind. That's doesn't not it stay in your blood for like a month? Yeah, that's what I like three weeks or something. That's what I that's what I heard. Um, I do not know that enough. Let's see when 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 where is this? Let's see about the ruling topples law restricting medical marijuana. I don't think that's it. Uh, 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 crud. I have no idea. Okay, so since I can't what find I don't it, like about this I'll is just... that a lot of these things are decided by people that don't know anything about what weed or, I mean, like cannabis and like the extract. Like there was a ruling recently that anything that's extracted from the plant. That's is, the one I'm talking about. It's like a schedule one, but then if it's, it's, yeah, it's the amount of, like that they don't know is astounding for people that are making decisions. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's see. Arizona court hashish not included in medical marijuana law. There we go. Nine days ago. Uh, oh, it's an appeals court. It wasn't the Supreme court. Sorry. So, um, isn't hashish like a slang term though? I, I got no idea. Uh, there, I actually had a point that I was eventually going to get to. You did? <laughs> okay, so uh, <laughs> here we go. The Arizona Court of Appeals ruled in a two-to-one decision Tuesday, June 26th, that cannabis extracts are illegal under Arizona law. Yeah. Um, and and the, basically, as I understand it, this was not a bad ruling. This was the the Court of Appeals saying... According to the law, as it was written, extracts are illegal. And what they essentially have done is thrown it back to the legislature and said, get the law straightened out, which is not a bad thing. Anyway, what what was my point? Oh, here's my point. Okay, so. Yeah. I have this theory because when I'm high, I, I mean, theoretically, if I ever got high, which. Yeah, no, I, I, we, <laughs> none of us have ever tried <laughs> Tried any of that. Were, you can hear I, it. Yeah. Were I to actually get high um, using the Indian devil weed, which, you know, obviously I wouldn't ever do. Right. Um, I have, <laughs> um, I went, uh, uh, I was with your, your, your cohort um, who is a pot aficionado. Yeah. And. Uh, which um, one? <laughs> B. Most of them are <laughs> B, yeah. as it be, and uh, I I was high as a kite. I was sailing, theoretically, theoretically of course. Yeah, um, and he was driving, and I remember we we went from his house to a coffee shop. It felt like it took forty five minutes. Yeah, and I think I asked him later. I said, "How far was the coffee shop?" He said about a mile and a half. Um, and I could have sworn we were in that car forever. Right. And all of my theoretical experiences with marijuana, um, I have, I've, ex- what, what I've noticed is that my experience of time is completely messed up. I have the sense that a whole lot more time is passing than is actually passing. Yeah. So for example, I, I will, I will have the sense that I have been doing something for two hours and it's been 10 minutes. Yeah. By the, by the clock, that's right? Pretty, that's pretty You're, you're, th- you're aware of that kind of theoretical thing as well. Yeah. Okay. So let's go to the DUI thing. So my theory is that anytime anybody who is high on pot, they're the, they're dangerous because they're being so careful because you feel like there's so much time passing even though there's not very much time passing at all you're super careful with everything you do and when i pass somebody on the road particularly if they're under well anymore there's no telling um but you know somebody who's who's young enough to look like they're open to to uh, partaking and they're driving the speed limit or even lower. Yeah. I just assume they're high. 
Yeah, but wouldn't that be even more safe? Because now you're yes, that's point. my point. You're the the, you're the difference between alcohol inebriation and marijuana is that when with alcohol you think you're better and more control than you really are. Yeah, and with and with marijuana you think you have less control than but, you actually do, or you just are you're just operating in another sort of realm of time. So everything to you is slow motion, but everything to everyone else is, is normal. So you you almost have an advantage because each little decision can take, can take you what seems like 10 minutes, but is actually just a fraction of a second. So it's theoretically would be safer. So it's a inebriation is the theme. Right. So, so, your That's, solution is it's a good place to, to get a, to get a drunk driving license that is based on being able to drive better inebriated than the bottom twenty percent of the population. Yes, and it but it has to be tested per individual. It's you know it's like you know 50- there could be a business opportunity here. How is it? What's that? Well, rather than than having these the the state. Um, conduct all these tests. Like when I got my motorcycle license, I took a safe driving course and passing my motorcycle safe driving course was accepted by the state to get my motorcycle certification on my yeah. license. All I had to do was walk, was go to the DMV and say, and show them the, the piece of paper that said I had passed their, that course and they gave me the motorcycle designation on my on my license i didn't have to i didn't have to have a state tester test me right they didn't take you out back and make you go so so you could you could i mean just like these comedy driving schools you could you could there could be a business where wait 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 wait, wait. you there are comedy driving schools you don't know about this like where you do comedy while you're driving no no, it's it, when you, when like you, you show. I <laughs> love that show. I was just watching it before you called. No, no, that are you, you're not serious. Yeah. I've never heard of a, a comedy driving. So school. when you get a ticket and you don't want it to show up on your record, you yeah. can take driving school and they'll take the, the, they won't, they won't put a mark on your ticket. Yeah. Some of, of the, some of the driving schools are comedy driving schools where they've actually got working comedians conduct the class the idea being they're, it's painful enough as it is so we may as well yeah that's well, serious I, I think it's probably just not very good comedians who well one would assume who yes need some cash you're you're not likely to see jerry seinfeld yeah running the local you know, Chris driving school yeah <laughs> anyway so they're just out of work comedians who yeah. Decided to get a. They get paid for teaching the class. This is great. Wow. Man, and they you, go, must be, you must be a really good driver. Have you ever gotten a ticket? Yeah. But you've never gotten yeah. it taken off your record by taking driving school? I don't remember. I, and it definitely wasn't a stand up comic where I was. You know, I've done that once, though. It was about th- probably 18 years ago or something. Okay. When I was. I don't think they, I don't think they had comedy driving school. schools back then. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the business idea is you can, you can be a drunk driving license school and you can, you can yeah. certify the blood alcohol level. You know, I'm, a, I mean, I'm all about privatizing it. There we go, man. It's like, all right. It's like a motto. I think we've, I think we have, I think we've achieved, um, the, this phone calls version of Nirvana. We've come up with a brilliant business <laughs> idea. I guess. Now, I don't I think guess. there's there's not too many things that can keep this from happening other than we have to get the legislature to pass the law and the governor to sign it. There are a mm-hmm. lot of barriers, I think. Mainly, it's trying oh, to tell man. people, um, hey, so we're going to try to get more drunk people. Drive. Well, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. <laughs> I, you, you know about people that are driving i mean i'm very against drunk driving obviously 
just to, to oh, yes, it's, to it's officially, so obvious from this conversation. Officially state my position. Really against it. I'm not that as against you it. advocate for a way to drive drunk. No, not drunk. Buzzed. It's like a bu- It's like buzz. Like a, I get a little buzz on. I said I'm fine. I'm still better than the cat lady or whatever. But do you know that, that? Do you know that? And, and test. Are you are you aware that in that 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 research has been done that demonstrates that 80 percent of the people believe they are above average in skill as drivers? Yeah. Oh no! I mean, I'm not aware of that, but I, I believe it. It sounds eighty. Uh, look, yeah, but 80, formal formal scholarly research: eighty percent of the of the drivers think they're above average. So what? A hundred percent of people think they have good taste. <laughs> my point is, right. you might be in that eighty percent, my friend. Oh, there's no way. Okay. There's no way. That okay. I that I would be in the big part of any bell curve. <laughs> 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 I don't, I don't think uh, you're not going to uh, have a lot of luck trying to find those. Okay. Those <laughs> oh, anyway, man. I think if you're going to drive, if you're going to be on the road, and you want to reduce fatalities, usually the people that are drunk always walk away from a crash, right? Mm, that's saying i don't know not always that no, not always but they i do, do know that they get I do know that alcohol is implicated in about 80 percent of all motor vehicle accidents you're kidding me for real yeah this oh, yeah. Is, we're not going to get anywhere with this yeah probably not <laughs> lord 80 percent yeah man and human error is responsible for 96 percent of all motor vehicle accidents well, what else would it be? Squirrels? What's the four uh, percent? Um, acts of God or um, uh, mechanical failure? Okay, mechanical. Yeah, I could see that. Okay, but even yep. then, you kind of coast to a stop, right? Well, you yeah, but this, see, this, this okay, is yeah. why this is why I'm one hundred percent convinced that in the not too distant future, it will be illegal for human beings to drive automobiles because we suck at it. Yeah. Here's the numbers. I know that I know this because I've done yeah, I've done the research. Thirty-three thousand fatalities in the US every year. Two and a half million casualties. And Um, self-driving vehicles could get that down to about twenty. Self-driving vehicles, self-driving vehicles. If you if you take the fact that ninety-six percent of all motor vehicle accidents are caused by human error, if you take the human out of it you eliminate 96% of motor vehicle accidents. So even in that, like that one Tesla case where somebody jumped out in front of it or it was, they had, the they camera had the, was blinded by a, they had the, no, they had no, that, the, no, the Uber, the Uber engineers had been instructed to disable um, part of the software that would have seen the person. Wow. And I don't remember the reason why. But that was, for I all mean, intents and purposes, point, that was. At some point, you're not even going to be able to kill yourself by throwing yourself in front of a car. Exactly. You're going to have to find another way to do it. I mean, what price do we pay as a society? Not being able to kill ourselves? Yeah, like what? It used to be so easy. Now it's going to be like, you have to go all the way to the, the bridge or something? I don't know. <laughs> the, girl. Well, the, number, the numbers are just overwhelming. Oh, that's, and then Chris, everybody, yeah, everybody freaks out about something that where it's like 30, 30, 40, 50 people die or whatever. And, and well, like, yeah, about 30,000 a year that you could 30, just 33,000 deaths a year, but two and a half million casualties. And the, the, the cost in, in time and money f- from motor vehicle accidents is absolutely staggering. Well, just um, that, the insurance, the parking, the once you get like a subscription based self-driving vehicle service where it, it, it's like one out of 10 cars is on the road because they're not being parked anywhere. Oh, yeah. um, other than, exactly. the, you know, overnight, they'll just park at the place or whatever. I don't know. They'll probably have little things, but you get rid of every parking lot, every parking structure. You just have a drop on 
a drop-off pickup zone. So you just do a little circle at every place instead of a giant parking lot. Um, or three or four, like at a music venue, you'd probably do 10 of them because, you know, or yeah. 15 or whatever. Um, but at a restaurant, you don't have to figure out your parking. You just have a little turnaround. Well, well think about Boom. this. Think about the property, individual private property that is Every devoted garage, to storing yeah. a car. Or you two. All, all of a sudden, you get 500 square feet, assuming that you're currently using your garage for your cars, which most people <laughs> don't. But No, they yeah, can't. They yeah. have a bunch of coolers and that's right. hockey, hockey sticks Camp, that they camping use. equipment and, and right, <clears throat> bicycles that don't get ridden and and sports equipment that never gets taken out. And right. Anyway, the point being, you can finally turn that into the recording studio for you and your band. Exacto mundo. You don't have to, you don't have to be dealt. Don't have to be dealing with the psychic guilt of, of forcing your wife to park the new car out on the driveway. You can get on your, your jorts and go out to the, to the X garage turn studio and you can, uh, Put on the your Ibanez and crank it up to four. Eleven? Don't we turn it up to eleven? Don't we always turn it up to eleven? Oh wait, my you're not, you're not a you're not a lead guitar player, so you don't you don't know about eleven. My mine just goes to ten. Yeah, yeah. I don't lead have... lead guitar players buy those special amps. Like you when know, you go into Guitar Center and they ask you rhythm or rhythm or lead. If you tell them lead, they take you to this private room in the back that's oh, got all the another... got all the amps that go up to eleven. Yeah. See, I think that's whatever the equivalent of sexist is. If you get what? if I don't if I don't have lead, access to your lead. private room of eleven the amps that go to eleven, I think that's that's lead guitarist. Yeah, but you've got to be an asshole anyway. I am. <laughs> Well, okay. I mean, you've got the first, you've got the first <laughs> thing. <laughs> I th- you know, what's weird is your lead guitarist is not an asshole. No, he's really sweet. What's the deal? Um, how, did, how did that, he's like one of four in the universe. How did that happen? I guess how I do you get, that's why we how did you get a lead still. guitar player who's not an asshole? That's I don't just, know. Do you realize how rare that is? Well, also because he's really good too, and I don't know why he plays with me. Oh well, I, I forgot to mention that he's good. He's, he's really good, but he's also almost by definition. If your lead guitar player is not an asshole, he's also not good. Right. Which is not to say that if he's not good, he isn't an asshole. Because I've played with, <laughs> yeah, I've played with lead guitar players who yeah. were no good and also assholes. Right. Um. Because so. that's step one. <sighs> that's the step that I've accomplished. I, I'm not good at guitar yet, but I can. Right. But you've got, you've got the biggest hurdle out of the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> anyway. Anyway. So, yeah. He's, he's a sweetheart. I don't understand it. I'm, when I'm I asked him, by that. when I asked him to be in the band, I, I, I'm always surprised when they agree to, to it. I go like, hey, do you want to play with us? And they go, yeah. And I go, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, you know, it works out. Well, they they clearly haven't heard your views on drunk driving yet. No, we'll make sure they don't hear this. I hope. Well, I hope not. I hope nobody hears this. <laughs> this is a really weird place to start. By the way, I I, I was not intending to uh to go <laughs> to go right there <laughs> and yet and yet we did yeah well sounds good think of something interesting to to bend my mind with next time why do we have to wait till next time we can do it right now <laughs> this has gone on long enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't hear that ever Say goodnight. <laughs> Say goodnight, Gracie. <laughs> I don't know who Gracie is, but... Uh, oh, are you kidding me? She sounds nice. Did she ask about you me? Don't, you don't know about Gracie? No. Who's Gracie? Oh, man. 
Burns and Allen, George Burns' partner and wife was Gracie Allen. I mean, granted, he outlived her by 40 years. But when, at the end of their act, he would, he would always say, he would force say her goodnight. Ugh, he would say to her, say goodnight, Gracie. And she would say, goodnight, Gracie. Oh, she was a very literal wife, it sounds like. Uh, the act, it was a pretty good act. Yeah, really. You should you should do a little YouTubing of Burns and Allen. This is this is George Burns. I'm guessing it's pre-internet. Yeah, and nothing before the internet ever <laughs> shows up on the internet. No, no, no. It just started in 1996, right after got, Al Gore invented it. <laughs> I got my I got my first email account in 19. I want to say 93. 93, 94. What was my first email? It was probably Earthlink or something like that. All right. And George Burns was already 80 at that point or 90. It's probably 90. I can't remember when he died. He was 100 when he died, I think. Smoked one cigar every day. Hung out with with supermodels after Gracie died. Hung out with. Yeah. Ian Brooke Shields. Ian Brooke Shields did a lot of thought a lot of stuff together, and I don't mean that in a naughty way. But yeah, interesting. You, you really don't know the the goodnight Gracie thing. No, I didn't know that. I I know. Well, I guess my George, role in your life has now been established. He had I, I get he had to round glasses, and a, and he would usually have a cigar. Oh yeah. The I mean, round the dude, glass, I remember, but I don't. The, I, no, dude, I don't the dude was a vaudeville performer, man. If he was I mean, ninety when I, when he I was, was literally, he was literally a vaudeville performer. If he was ninety or above when I was in high school, I, how would I see his act? I'm not. He you was, know. Oh, he was he was performing till he was a hundred. He he was he was born in 1896. That's the same. Yes, my parents' house was built. I wonder if George was born in it. Well, it's likely <laughs> he was drafted into the army when the U.S. entered World War One in 1917, but he failed the physical because he was extremely nearsighted. So now I'm getting the feeling that you that you pulled up something online. Why you you don't believe that I just pulled that out of my memory? No. Have you ever thought about the fact that we basically have we're outsourcing our memories now? Well, not not memories, just our encyclopedia. Well, but 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 how many people don't bother to re- I mean, I used to know the phone numbers of all my friends, of all my family, yeah, of many of my acquaintances, of a lot still, of my you would still know them, but it, you don't you don't use them. You just push their name. That's right. But I you, have outsourced memory of of those phone numbers to an external device, but not not really by choice. Because if you of course need, I have, I don't have to do it. No, if you needed to remember them and you used them like five, six times a week. But, you we don't, but, but we don't have to. That's the point. Because of these new tools we've got, we're outsourcing our our, our memories of, things, of phone things that we would remember. But stuff that matters, I remember, you know, all the stuff I need to remember. How is it that you're more of a Luddite than I am and you're, you're so much younger? I don't understand that. That's just weird. <laughs> Hang on while I Google Luddite. <laughs> Not oh, about to prove your point, but I'm about to prove your point. Well, if you're Googling it, you're actually not a Luddite. But uh, so get this: um, Gracie Ethel C- Cecile Rosalie Allen was born into an Irish Catholic show business family in San Francisco. She began in vaudeville around 1909. She met George Burns while attending secretarial school in Hoboken, New Jersey in 1923 at a vaudeville theater. Yes, but could she spell Luddite correctly on the first try? She she was funny. Does it say in there? 
Uh, Luddite? No, I don't think so. Could she spell let's, Luddite? Let's do also, a little control F and see if Luddite appears anywhere. Nope, not in the George Burns biography. Sorry. This is <laughs> this is uh, a Luddite, a member of any of the bands of English workers who destroyed machinery, especially in cotton and woolen mills, that they believed was threatening their jobs. How a member of any of the bit that was threatening their jobs. Yeah. There was this no. group of, yeah. There, no, there, there's... I'm saying a member of any of the blah, 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 blah was threatening his job. How am, am I correcting the grammar of the dictionary online? Quite possibly. Yeah, I think I am. Bad, bad writing is endemic across the internet. Oh, this is horrible. Threatening their jobs. A member of any. All right. Anyway. Yeah, there you go. So Burns and Allen, I mean, they were funny. You really should look up some Burns and Allen. So Burns and Allen were a vaudeville act. I mean, this is like practically pre-radio. Yep. Well, and then, and then they were on, they were, they went to radio like night. Let's see. In the fall of 1949, after 12 years at NBC. So they were on the radio in 37. And then they had did the, the George Burns and Gracie Allen show on television in, I don't know, right after Jesus was born. Anyway, I mean, I was watching George Burns forever. It sounds like you had a nice time. <laughs> oh, and he played the voice of God. No, no, he played God. John Denver. <laughs> no, no, no. John Denver made a movie called Oh God, and George Burns played God. But it wasn't, it was so cool because, it, you know, you actually saw him. But it was, so this was like, he was, he was the original Morgan Freeman. Yes, he was Morgan Freeman before Morgan Freeman. Yeah, that's what I just said. <laughs> yeah, but, but, okay. so what? <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'll look it up. I, I got so much stuff to do. So much to do. I can't be going back into the forties and the thirties and looking at some guy with his wife and then they're trying to smoke a cigar. I I mean, I, I'll do it for you, but like, it seems like you're just, you're not making it easy for me is my point. I don't think I, it's my job to make it easy for you. Is is it my job to make it easy for you? <laughs> yes. I don't think we talked about this. Did we not? Yeah. Yeah. That's everybody. No, I, I think what we said was that I was going to try to keep this conversation on track and you were just going to provide the color. And I think you, we're, I think the two of us are doing a fabulous job at that. Yeah. I guess. Lord knows you're being colorful. <laughs> and Lord knows I'm working my butt off to try to keep us on whatever track there happens to be here. It's like, um, it's like bumper bowling. Yeah. And I'm like, without the bumpers, I'm like, come on, man, just let me get in the other lane. It's so much more fun over there. So here's George Burns. This is a great George Burns quote. I can remember when the air was clean and sex was dirty. <laughs> Isn't that great? Okay. <laughs> He's, he famously said, I go out with women my age, but there are no women my age. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's not bad. That is pretty good. <sighs> Happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad the only people who know how to run the country are busy driving cabs and cutting hair. I don't understand that one. Although. Uh, <laughs> I do I do kind of agree with them. If you live You're to be 100, so you've got it made. Very few people die past that age. I mean. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, I guess, but this is uh, 
here, let me see. Let me see what I can go look up on Wikipedia <laughs> and read to you. <laughs> so the only reason we're talking about George Burns is because I said to say goodnight, Gracie, and you had no idea what I was talking about. So once again, here I am trying to educate you. Yeah, but trying to, trying to fill in the the massive gaps in your in your education. I think that's the only reason you you ever you ever talk to me is is because you learn so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, but usually when it's, we converse, <laughs> usually it's. I mean, let's be honest. You you have had some more useful sort of things. Like I love history, um, not enough to learn all of it or anything. Like that. <laughs> But, uh, you know. Yeah. I don't know. History. Yeah. Not all of it, though. I don't think I, I don't think I would, I would qualify as somebody that just wants to know all of the history. So with certain, with certain stuff. That would be a lot to know. I'm kind of fine with, you know, like, yeah, like I was a, he had a cigar. All right, cool. Next. Let's move it along. Well, like, that's why there's that's why there's so many people because there's so much more history than there used to be that nobody can know it all. But if there's more people, then between all of us, we can still have it known. Yeah, does that make sense? So everybody's responsible for knowing a little bit of history. Yeah, well, good luck with that. And there are, there are a lot of people that don't know who the vice president is. Who? Who's the vice president? Just kidding. Totally, <laughs> totally kidding. But that I know it's Dan Quayle. That's how limited people's knowledge of history is. They don't know who's the current vice president, <laughs> let alone anything else. Do you realize there are people who are going to vote in the upcoming election who don't remember 9-11? Do you think, well, that's crazy. Do you think there should be a little test before somebody votes that says uh, like three very simple questions. You know, like before, before your vote is like, what's your favorite color? No, 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 no. What's what's your middle name? Like, Who's what's, the current vice what's president? The, what's the weight of of a of a starling? What's that? What's that question in Monty Python? Well, they're trying Euro- to cross the drawbridge. A European uh, swallow could do it, but African swallow or a European swallow? Well, an African swallow, sure. But do you think there should be like a little quiz that says like you basically at least have to know what the Fourth of July celebrates? For example, that was like last week or something, two days ago. Well, if somebody died and left me in charge, these are the these are the changes I would implement. Would you do that? Would you? Uh, I'm, I'm, you you've asked me the question. I'm now going to give you the answer. All right. When I am when I am king, <laughs> these are the changes that I will implement. Yeah. Nobody gets to vote before they're 25 years old. Neuroscientists, neuroscientists have, have determined pretty, pretty conclusively that the, that our brains are not fully mature until 30, until 25. Right. Um, and if you think about yourself between the ages of 18 and 25, you probably can confirm that. Yeah. The good Um, thing is most of them don't vote anyway. Yeah. But I just make it illegal anyway. I don't want, I I don't want David Hogg. (laughs) Voting. <laughs> no, no, he shouldn't be allowed to vote ever. You know, I, I, anyway, that's, and, and what's interesting is that the, the framers of the constitution actually set 25 as the age limit pre understanding of, uh, of neurology and, and cognitive science, which I think is pretty amazing. I read, I read a, a speculation that the reason that they, they set 25 is because most folks died by the time they were 50. So they figured once you're halfway <laughs> through your life, yeah. you might have enough experience to not be a complete moron at the ballot box. Wow. Yeah. So if we were going to do that, we would have to move the average voting age to 40. I think that would be. That would change things, huh? 
I think that's valid. So this this socialist that got nominated in New York, who's promising free everything for everybody, you know, she'd <laughs> she'd never get on the ballot because all the forty year olds would say, "Ah, uh, yeah." <laughs> anyway, um, so rule number like one that. is you got to be you got to be twenty five to vote. Yeah. Rule number two is you have to pay taxes. Anybody how much? In anybody whose tax return shows that they were did not qualify to pay taxes. They made too little money to actually pay. Right. They don't get to vote? Don't get to vote. Well, I think that's the, it's, this is the, no taxation without representation and you're flipping it. No representation without taxation. Well, you don't get to vote if you're not paying. That's exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you don't get get to make a decision about how tax money is going to be spent. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for incremental improvement here. So if it is like that, like if it's a dollar, you'd be like, all right, fine. You've got a, you've got some skin in the game. You've got some skin in the game. Absolutely. Nassim Taleb's latest book is called skin in the game. Okay. And he argues, and I haven't read the book, but I'm a big Nassim Taleb fan. I read a lot of his essays. Um, and man, there's a, there's a, there's a whole giant bucket of stuff to talk about there. Anyway, so when I am king, you have to be 25. You have to have paid taxes. Yes. In the last, um, uh, some number of years. I'm not sure what. Okay. Um, failing that, you don't get to vote. Period. I think that's fair. That's just two things. And I'm no, not asking for the world. No, I'm just, I'm just asking that people who are, who are net free writers on the system. Don't get to vote themselves even more money. Right. So if, so if the people who are running for office don't, if what that does is that takes out of the the equation, we're going to give free stuff away because I, I think it might, because the lowest common denominator who, who loves free stuff is kind of taken out of the mix of, of prospective targets for that kind of message. So everybody's a little bit pissed off because the government's taking money out of their pocket. So they, so, so they get a chance to, to vote. If, if the government's putting more money into your pocket than they're taking out, you don't get to vote. I like you've, it. You've, you've already gotten all your, all the benefit. Um, from the people prior who have, who have voted and have voted to take care of you. And of course, I think part of what, what'll happen there a little bit, if we can think in second order effects, um, there will be, there will be the people who are high in, in trait openness, who are primarily motivated by, um, compassion. Who will, who will worry more about the low end. And we might actually end up with more the, the low end, economical, economically low end of the, of the spectrum. And we might actually end up with some, some more sane, um, economic policies for taking care of the truly disadvantaged. Why would this that did, happen? This kind of started out as a joke, but I'm now I'm thinking kind of semi seriously about it. No, well, I, think because, I think it's totally reasonable. Because because, you know, the, the population, you, we've talked about the big five, right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, Jordan Peterson's study on the relationship between personality traits and political preferences is, indicates it hasn't proven, but it indicates there's a high correlation between personality traits and political preferences. And those, and the, the, the traits are, um, the, the, the correlations are, um, people who, who, who self-identify as liberal tend to be high in openness and low in conscientiousness. People who self-identify as conservative, it's, it's flip-flopped. 
high in conscientiousness, low in trade openness. Well, the interesting thing now is we kind of need to re-evaluate those terms because liberal now, like a classic liberal, JFK liberal would be a pretty staunch conservative at this point. Oh yeah, totally agree. I'm just, I'm just so like, using a, the, like a progressive or a leftist would be high in openness. Right. And so forth. Yeah. High in openness, low in consciousness. And as Peterson says, um, people who are high openness, low conscientiousness make good entrepreneurs, but lousy managers, people high in conscientiousness, low in openness make great managers, but lousy entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So you, you need the you need the high openness, low low conscientious people to start businesses, and you need the low openness, high conscientious people, high conscientiousness people to run them and keep them running. <laughs> right. So it's not like there's one group is necessary and the other isn't. Um, and now you've thrown me completely off track. What was no, it? What, I like what, that. What was, what was the I, point I was trying to make? Oh, I don't know. Uh, you weren't listening either. I was listening. I, just, <laughs> we, we went down a rabbit trail. That, those are my favorite kind. I lo- but I I like that because I think most most people think, well, if everyone was just like me, everything would be great. And no. uh, I think that's really flawed thinking. I think we need the other sort of the other kinds of people, barring like the the craziest four percent on either end. Um, I, I've, I've struggled with, with sociopaths. The, the, I, I don't know if sociopaths actually play an evolutionarily advantageous role in society. And I wondered if, if sociopathy I think is, I've wondered if sociopathy is an evolutionary backwater or if it's a vestige or if it's actually, um, if it's actually an advanced form of evolution, if, if the sociopaths are actually more evolved, I would love to get um, somebody who's, who's knowledgeable in this area and hear what they have to say about that is, is sociopathy an evolutionary um, vestige of an, of, of our, our prehistory or, or our sociopaths actually um, psychologically advanced. Well, I think the lack of a conscience or empathy, I have a pretty high level of like, like I'm, I don't have very much empathy, which sort of bothers me. Um, but I also don't care about what people think about me very much. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. Cause I yeah, think, but I, I, but I know you, you're not a sociopath. Technically, probably not. <laughs> well, there is a technical measurement to determine sociopathy, and and I assure you, you're not socio, you're not a sociopath. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure sociopaths. Man, I'm 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 talking out my my ass here because I don't actually know this stuff. I'm, I'm I've been interested enough to do a little bit of of reading on it, but I don't. I'm I'm hardly an expert. Anyway, that's it is interesting though to think of it like is it a is it an evolutionary trait that actually we sort of need to yeah. have a certain percent of the population be that way? I, uh, yeah. Cause, cause you know, the, the experts estimate that somewhere between every one out of every hundred to two out of every hundred people are sociopaths can, yeah. can, can clinically be diagnosed as sociopathic. And I'm, I'm, I'm using that in the, the clinical definition, not just a colloquial definition. You know, somebody who's a jerk and is mean to, to you know, kicks his or, dog and is mean to his wife. I mean, an right. actual sociopath who does not view other, who doesn't, who does not acknowledge the existence of of other selves in the world that only sees sees that he is the only self and everyone else's objects. Right. Oh man. Yeah. You think that might be more evolved? I, I actually, my gut tells me it's, it's actually a vestige. It's, it's a form of, of unconsciousness to me, but I'm, I'm not an expert. I have no idea. It'd be cool to get somebody who knows, who, who knows and ask yeah. them and, yeah. and here, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> 
let's see if I can track down somebody who, who can give us the the four one one on on sociopathy. That would be fun to to learn about. I I tend to think that it's it's an anomaly that it would probably always be around, but you should yeah. obviously try to try as much as you can to lessen it and try to figure out the best ways to reduce the number and then in the number of people that actually are born that way or are missing that chemical or whatever it is to try to lessen yeah. the effects of it as yeah. much as possible. Yeah. But, but uh, according to what I've read, sociopathy is, is as much as anything is, has biological neurological roots. You, you can't decide not to be a sociopath or you can't decide to be a sociopath. Well, that's not necessarily true. Um, I guess there is some some evidence that would indicate that severe trauma can modify the brain, modify the neurochemistry, and with with the result that you, you end up with a sociopathic um, profile, neurological yeah, profile. Say, say, for example, that you have a you have a four year old or a six year old that seems to be exhibiting those kinds of um, traits there's nothing you could do to teach them that other people are as valuable as they apparently not. There's no, apparently apparently true sociopathy is when you hit somebody, you get hit because what you're inflicting gets inflicted to you. What you start teaching is what, this is what you're doing to someone else. You're making them suffer. Yeah. And that would work for normal people, but a sociopath 98 to 99%. Yeah. Sociopath just takes it as the, a sociopath doesn't recognize other selves in the world. There's one self in the entire world, and it is them. And, and they can, every, that's what's, and they everything can't. else is object. But they can't be taught that. That's as I understand it. That's the current thinking. Yeah. Yeah, that seems kind of suspect to me. I think you can be taught just about anything. No, well, I think you can be taught. There was a there was a professor, a Nazi soldier. Like you can be taught that. Well, that's going the other direction. People are subhumans, and that you can. Yeah, but I think that that could be taught. Yeah, it wasn't obviously. just just a ton of Germans were sociopaths and didn't care about the suffering of others. They were taught yeah. that that they right. were subhuman people that didn't matter if they suffered because it or. It, or their their suffering was good. Yeah, ordinary men. Christopher Browning's book about um, the German police battalion. Yeah. Well, Peterson talks about that too. Like go, really right. getting into a dark place, realizing that you could have done what they did. Yeah. And you can be taught that. And most of it's the brainwash. Like the one of the biggest roots of evil is lies. Like if you lie about the Jews over and over for someone's entire life, and you know, yeah. then eventually you can get them to do insanely cruel things to them because right they should or they're you know they need to be blamed for the ills of society or whatever it is that you know um but uh i i have to think that you that you can if you can teach somebody cruelty you can teach them out of cruelty like if you were just happen to be born sociopathic that you you know that you could be somehow taught that you're not the only thing in the universe, which. Um, yes, you, you would think that because you're a normal person. There's a, uh, there's an, an article in psychology today, several years ago called confessions of a sociopath. Um, it's a woman who is, I think she's a professor somewhere in Utah. I should probably look it up. Um, did she ask about but, me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're great in bed, apparently. Um, uh, yeah, Confessions of a Sociopath, Psychology Today, 2013. Um, golly, man, fascinating, fascinating story. Um, she was diagnosed as a sociopath. Um, and sociopaths' brains are actually different than normal people. Yeah. And um, she knows she's a sociopath. She's not 
um, she's not what I guess you would say malevolent. She's not a psychopath. Well, I don't think, I don't think psychologically, I don't think that the, the, the psycholo- the psychology, um, um, discipline recognizes a difference between sociopathy and psych- psychopathy. I think they're basically two words for the same thing. I don't think there's a, a diagnosis of one versus a di- a differential diagnosis of one versus the other. Anyway, she knows she's a sociopath. Um, and man, I, I'm telling you, read, read the, you should, you should ch- look that up. Okay. I'm giving you a lot to read. I realize that. No, <laughs> to be honest, I'm a little more interested in that than the George Burns, Con- but conf- uh, confessions of a sociopath psychology and today, uh, May 7th, 2013. I'm copying it and sending it to you now. Cool. All right. There you go. Yeah. Um, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, it was absolutely fascinating. Was she the one that they based? Uh, what's that show? Derek? Oh, um, um, Derek, the one who was the, the, the one who, who was the, the serial killer who was the blood spatter expert. Yeah. Dustin Devlin. Devlin. Obviously, neither of us watched it. I watched the Dexter. Dexter. I watched the whole series. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah. it's probably okay. Listen to this paragraph. You're going to read it here in a minute. This is this is paragraph. She's writing about herself. I am a sociopath. Remorse is alien to me. I have a penchant for deceit. I am generally free of entangling and irrational emotions. I am strategic and canny, intelligent and confident, but I also struggle to react appropriately to other people's confusing and emotion-driven social cues. I I thought that that phrase, I am generally free of entangling and irrational emotions, and that's apparently fairly common with sociopaths, as is um, the the struggle to react appropriately to other people's emotional cues, emotional social cues because sociopaths do not experience those kinds of emotions they don't they they practice how to many of them practice how to look normal yeah by watching other people remember that that the bug guy in men in black you know the 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 bug took over his body oh yeah remember that yeah and and that actor um, Vincent Donofrio, I think his name was, he was brilliant in that role because he honestly looked like somebody had taken over his body. And well, um, also, I think the CGI bugs were pretty helpful. Yeah, but he was doing that whole something else is inside my body trying to be human. Anyway, that's kind of how sociopaths are around normal people. You should totally read the article. Weird. Yeah. Man. How do we go on sociopaths? Who cares? <laughs> <sighs> okay. Well, <laughs> there you go. Interesting. So, pretty right. good start, huh? I like I this. It's a good start. I, I think it's fun. I we should probably edit out the whole bit about the, the drunk driving now. I mean. Absolutely I'm not. The more, uh, absolutely not. Like the more serious discussion is much more fun for me, but absolutely not. Yeah, it is fun. It's all fun. Yeah. The whole reason I want to do this is because we always have such interesting conversations, whether it's, it's whether us. it's, whether it's a drunk driving license or the prevalence of psychopathy among the general population. Well, I'm going to have to see if I am. The other question is, do you want to know? If you are. Yeah, that's actually a good question because again, maybe I am, but I've been so, we don't don't know that there's anything that can be done about it, but maybe I've been so successful at pretending I'm not that now I don't think I am. And I, I, I'm not, but I have a suspicion that psychopaths know they are, know they are. The sociopaths know they are. 
even if they don't know the the label, they know the. Can you be sociopathic only to one group, like Walmart shoppers? You are such a bad person. I might have that. <laughs> like, is there a version of it that's kind of like that? Like, yeah, that's Walmart specific sociopathy. Yeah, like I can't even go in the we'll parking see if, lot. We'll see if the DSM has got that as a as a diagnosis. I can't even go in the parking lot, man. <laughs> I just know that they're gonna ding up my doors with their doors oh. or like my car, you know. <laughs> leave the cart right next to my car. It's going to get all bashed up. Now, see, I do know something about you and, and this is, this is legit. You are low in trait agreeableness yeah. and low in trait neuroticism. And neuroticism was my lowest one. Oh yeah. You were like, <laughs> if it, if it was your heart heart, if it was your heart monitor, you were flatlining. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I neuroticism was two out of hundred. You're extremely, um, you you are on on the the tail of the the bell curve there, and you you yeah. barely ever experience negative emotion, is what that says. It's AKA, I take everything as a compliment. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> And I suspect that that's actually true of, um, no, that wouldn't be true of sociopaths because sociopaths experience a lot of negative responses that they may not identify as emotion, but, um, they, Ah oh, man, now I'm, and I'm, I'm in way over my head. So now I'm, I'm probably now I've got, now I've totally got to go read. I'm probably fine. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be all right. I mean, yeah. you know, like in a general sense, like <laughs> we, we should we shouldn't be that worried. It would be pretty hard to get me to worry, though. Uh, I, yes, I can, I can affirm that. But uh, yeah. So anyway, see if I'm a, a psychopath or whatever. All right, we'll do the test the article I sent you. I will. And we'll do this again. When? Uh, next episode. Mm, just call me later. All right. So I'm Jack. That's Matthew. This has been uh, whatever we call the show. Yeah. Later. Later. This has been the Manly Danger Show starring Chet Manley and Maxwell Danger with special guest hosts Matthew Thornton and Jack Eald. Theme music by Scott Holmes. Today's sponsor is CultYourBrand.com. Personal branding matters. When you're fed up with being overlooked, when you're sick of not making an impact, then you're ready to cult your brand. Get noticed, command attention, and capture loyalty. Visit CultYourBrand.com today. The Manly Danger Show is filmed before a live living room audience. This has been a Ducks in a Row production. <laughs>